Football is around the corner, and we are ramping it up over here on the Ringer NFL feed in the month of August. Every week, Ben Solak and I will be bringing you not one, but two extra point takens. That's right. Double the trouble as we predict, debate, and analyze our way through camp and the preseason every Monday and Friday. But that is not all. Steven Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Wednesday. We'll talk about everything in the world of the NFL. And who knows? Maybe Steven will even have something nice to say about your favorite squad. Though, frankly, I wouldn't count on it. Subscribe to The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow The Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Ringer NFL. This episode of The Ringer F1 Show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by ArmorAll. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use ArmorAll to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, ArmorAll, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. Welcome to the Ringer F1 show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Megan Schuster. I will be your host today, and I am joined by two very wonderful F1 experts. Tim Haraney, the host of Nailing the Apex podcast. Tim, how are you? I'm good, Megan. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a while. It has. Uh, and I'm also joined by my former colleague and current Fangraphs writer, Michael Bauman. Michael, what's up? Hello, hello. Very kind of you to call me an expert. <laughs> well, you know more than me, so <laughs> here we are. Um, we're convening today for a couple of reasons. First off, the front half of this season has been criticized a little bit for being slightly boring with Max Verstappen and Red Bull's dominance. I don't personally feel that way, but later in the episode, we're going to try to spice things up a little bit and give some potentially bold predictions for what we think could happen in the second half of this season. But before we get into that, we should start with the summer break. And silly season, and I'm saying that with heavy air quotes because it hasn't been all that silly. There's still a little bit of time for that to change, and there are a number of drivers who aren't currently under contract beyond this year, so we can get into all of that. But before we get into sort of individual situations, what do you guys make of the lack of movement on this front so far, and kind of where do you see this going, you know, over the next week and a half until we get back into racing and beyond? Yeah, I guess if you compare it to you know, last season, it's been extremely, <laughs> yeah. extremely dull, right? I don't think Very anything different. can actually, yeah. I don't Vastly, think any, any, last year, <laughs> last year, we were getting like Oscar Piastri Twitter statements and Fernando Alonso <laughs> jumping ship and him, you know, being in Greece and not answering Otmar. It was, it was amazing. I think like, yeah, well, we can't really compare it to that because that's probably the silliest I think we've seen it in a really long time. I mean, like, what can we really pinpoint here is obviously the the Otmar Safnauer news and Alan Permain sure. and 
you know, those guys, those guys being ejected from uh, the Alpine F1 team. And, you know, now there's like grumblings that Mattia Bonotto could possibly, you know, come back and be the team principal for that team. And that poor you know, man, what, he doesn't what, deserve that. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say, I don't know if that's essentially the uh, direction he would really want to go in with. Let his him career. live in his vineyard in peace. <laughs> considering all that had happened you know with him at ferrari i don't michael i don't really see like i i don't see how that's any different from what he just left right you're still going to be reporting to executives you're still going to have that you know involvement from upper brass into the race team you're not really going to have full control over everything you're not going to be like a christian horner or total wolf like it's Mm -hmm. I don't see it. I don't see it as a good move for him if it if that is something that does eventually play out. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, Mattia, let me let me sell you on this, okay? So you know how well <laughs> things went with Ferrari, right? And you know, you know how you sort of struggled with meddling and uh, indecisive corporate ownership and uh, just absolute rock bottom vibes around the race organization. So what if we gave you that? with a worse driver lineup and maybe 70 to 80% of the financial <laughs> investment. How do you feel about that? You want to run that back? Yeah. And know, it's a beautiful language. I'm sure these guys are all polyglots. <laughs> I'm sure that's not a, an obstacle. Uh, but yeah, I just, man, does he want to get on, back on the grid that bad? I think it's the the question. Like, you know, just go like get half a dozen no-show corporate board jobs and like, go move to Dubrovnik or whatever, you know, just, (laughs) just eat pastries for the rest of your life. That's what I would do if I were him. The only reason it makes sense for him is if he's really dying to show Ferrari that he wasn't the problem, which I I think we like maybe (laughs) already know to an extent, but like the only way this really makes sense is if he's out looking for revenge and, and that I would support. I, I would, I would fully back him up if he's just just really wanting to to do well in in new circumstances. So there's a there's a document a good documentary about a big wall climber named Tommy Caldwell who appeared in Free Solo. He's not the the main guy, but he it's about his uh, incredible life story and his challenge to do a different difficult climb on El, El Capitan. And a lot of it is related to his relationship with his first wife, who is also a climber, and she left him for another man. And at the Mm. end of the documentary, when he's pulling off this climb, you meet his second wife, who looks exactly like the first wife. (laughs) And I think that's sort of some guys do this like Carson Wentz. Everybody Carson Wentz has ever dated looks exactly the same. And I want (laughs) like this is the the F1 version of, of pulling that move. I just so I don't, I don't know how to follow, follow up from that, but you don't have to. We can move on to the next thing. <laughs> just all stunned silence as we process this. But but no, I mean, I, I think I think to a certain extent you're right. It is a very similar situation that he would be putting himself into, um, and a situation that he would have spent less time in his career in, obviously, because he was with Ferrari for so long. So I yeah, I don't know that it's a smart decision for him. I think it is. Um, Certainly would be a potentially interesting one for, you know, the content perspective would be fun to have him back on the grid. And just like seeing, you know, some quotes that had come out from Otmar recently and hearing about how, you know, you know, Alpine really wanted to speed this, you know, situation up. And in Formula One, no, you can't really do that. It's always you're you're always like two years behind in in anything when it comes down to to F1. And I think for for a team principal, whoever it is who's going to be going in there, I mean, they've they've really got their hands full. It's going to be extremely difficult for any 
individual who thinks that if they go in there, that they're going to turn things around at that team in the amount of time that Alpine wants it to, it's impossible. It's They have so much infrastructure work that they need to do. They're behind in their wind tunnel development. They're just, it's, it's layers upon layers with that team. And, you know, there are some people who have thrown out the notion that they could end up selling this whole thing in a few years time anyway. So who even would want to go into that situation? Because if that ends up happening, then usually there's turnover again, and then you're bringing in another new team, team principal. And so, I I I think they're in a really difficult situation. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this thing goes for them for the rest mm-hmm. of the year. I mean, obviously, like plans for this car have been in the pipeline at the beginning of the season. So whatever comes to the car later on, I mean, that's not necessarily a reflection of letting these individuals go. And to that point, I still think it's extremely shocking, you know, that they let a guy like Alan Permain go who'd been at the team for over 30 years and who is a very well-respected uh, motorsports individual within the paddock. Yeah. Certainly a silly season from, yeah, an executive and team principal perspective. From a driver perspective, there are a number of guys who are not currently under contract beyond this year. So that's so far Lewis Hamilton, Joe Guan Yu, Daniel Ricardo, Yuki Sonoda, Logan Sargent, Kevin Magnuson, and potentially Nico Hulkenberg. From from what I'm seeing, it seems like Haas has an option on him for 2024 if they want to keep him around, but I don't know that he necessarily has any guarantees there. Um, of that group, you know, it, it would seem all indications are that Lewis will be back. Um, it seems like Joe and Alfa Romeo have had positive talks lately, but who of that group do you think you see any sort of potential for movement or do you expect all of these guys to be back in 2024? I expect, I think most of them to be back. I mean, the Haas seats are, are interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, like Kevin hasn't performed mm-hmm. well at all this season. I mean, in he's been beaten in every aspect of everything by Nico Hulkenberg so far. Um and, and Hulkenberg is a, a driver who had been removed from the grid from a few years. I mean, he'd only done a few races here and there, but it was nothing serious. And there was no tangible uh, evidence to say that he was going to be competitive when he returned to F1. And here we are. I mean, his qualifyings have been incredible. I mean, obviously, they've had their struggles with their car uh, in race trim when, mm-hmm. you know, the balance shifts from it. And they all of a sudden go from being, you know, pretty competitive to at the back. Uh, but I think for Kevin Magnuson, who looked like he was shot out of a gun last season, is now just crawling and just scratching by to hold on to this seat. I, you know, it was interesting. Gunther Steiner, um, I was in a press conference with him and he had made mention of this several times that he wanted to try and get his driver lineup solidified by the summer break. Well, here we are. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's not done. And so that leads me to believe that, you know, I think. I, I think anyways, that 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 Kevin Magnuson seat might might be up mm-hmm. for grabs. And it's, you know, I heard some grumblings that, you know, maybe Ollie Berman might get a chance at an FP1 session at some point this season. There are some reports out there circulating around that that could happen. Um, obviously, he's connected with Ferrari. Haas obviously mm-hmm. has a connection with Ferrari at the same time. Um now, whether or not anything comes of that remains to be seen. But I think for Haas, I think for that that 
second seat and the one that Magnuson occupies. I think if Kevin can't really change this, turn this thing around the next five races, it could be difficult for him to hold on to that. Yeah, I agree that having Hulk come back and I mean, he's driven the wheels off that car. I'm like, just looking at the standings, I'm shocked. He's only finished in the points once. And I think that says a lot mm-hmm. more about the car. Like he's consistently getting that into Q3. Uh, he looks like a completely different driver uh, now than toward the end of his Renault tenure. Uh, I would be astonished if he's not in that seat next year. And K-Mag, I think, has has played his way onto the bubble. Uh, And so I I don't think he's like, you know, a a slam dunk. He needs to be replaced, partially because I don't know who the next guy up for them is Mm -hmm. at this point. I think it would depend on what you know you look at the the formula two class you look at some of the guys who are reserve drivers now uh i'm not hugely inspired by a lot of those choices so i think there's a decent chance he comes back the interesting situation to me is the the red bull alpha towery where it seems like there are four drivers for for three spots depending on uh where you know what happens to Sergio Perez, and I think what everybody's rooting for is Daniel Ricardo to reclaim that Red Bull seat, and I just don't think that's going to happen. I mean, we'll get into this in the bold, bold predictions, but I think mm. that as much as as fun as that would be <laughs> uh, to have a shootout between uh, Perez, Sonoda, Ricardo, and Liam Lawson, I guess is the the fourth person for that seat, mm-hmm. uh, or for one of the AlphaTauri seats, I should say. Uh, I, I think that's going to be pretty stable too. I'm interested to see what, what Alfa Romeo does with, with Joe Guan Yu. Cause I think he's been perfectly fine. I think that whole team has been disappointing. I don't know how much of that you can lay at the, or how much blame you can lay at the feet of the drivers, but also Teo Porcher has been the new hotness for a couple of years now. He's currently leading formula two. I think they at least have to have a conversation about swapping that second seat out. And, you know, Joe, in addition to being a fine Grand Prix driver, it has those big uh, commercial connections. He brings a lot of money into sure. the team. So that's a, that's an important thing. Maybe Porsche is somebody they loan out to Haas for a year if they decide to go a different direction than, than K-Mag. But uh, so I think that's the other seat you have to watch. I'm also curious to see what, what goes on with Logan down at, down yeah. at Williams. I mean, yeah. obviously he has had a, a difficult, you know, start to his rookie campaign in formula one, but you know, Bauman and I have talked about this before on, on other podcasts where it's, you know, he was a little half sort of baked before coming in Mm -hmm. to formula one. And, you know, I do agree with that. I I think he probably should have stayed down in formula two for maybe another year. But again, you know, when an offer gets put to you, inviting you to come into F1, you obviously you can't turn it down because it's an open door and you have to walk through it and see what happens. I just think that for 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 Logan, I think it it just takes time with with F one and you know those who have some F one experience up to that point. So if you look at Oscar Piastri, I mean the two mm-hmm. of them battling it out together in, in Formula Three, but then obviously Oscar moving ahead faster in the championships and the junior categories faster than Logan has, and then getting into formula one and getting some more experience, obviously with it being with the Alpine team at the time and moving over to McLaren, he, he does have a little more seasoning than, than Logan does. And I think one of the things for, for that seat, James Valls has expressed to myself, you know, dinner with the guy at British Grand Prix. And, you know, he, he said that like, this is a driver they're willing to back. They're going to give him some time. And Mm -hmm. I, I just think that's a seat to, to take a look at. I, Mm -hmm. I hope they don't 
decide to end up moving Logan out. I think he does deserve another season um, to get his feet well with underneath him. And granted, this is a really tough car to drive also, Michael. With that said, there are a couple high-speed... Tri- well, I mean, his best performance this year, the best was the 11th place at Silverstone, which is the best American finish since Scott Speed. Uh, <laughs> so, but you look at other high-speed tracks, tracks like that, got Monza coming up in two races, uh, Brazil at the end of the at the end of the calendar. We've got three races in North America. We've got Qatar, which is sort of flowing track that might benefit the uh the Williams. He's got to score at some point. Yeah, I've been banging yeah. the, you know, he might not have been ready. You got to be patient, drum. And I think that's absolutely true, but eventually he's got to score a point. And if you go the entire season uh scoreless and you're not bringing the kind of money that nicholas latifi or nikita mazpin brought in you're gonna get i'm that patience is gonna evaporate even at a team like williams that seems to be willing to play the long game so i think the pressure is definitely ramping up on him and there were guys you know there some of the the alpine uh academy guys being linked with a potential uh move to that williams seat like piastri was supposed to do a couple years ago um Mick Schumacher has been in the, in the picture, you know, he was, he was on their list last year. And I think that there are, there are going to be other attractive options if, if Logan doesn't get on the scoreboard. So I think the, the time for, for him is running out, even if, you know, whether that's fair or not. Yeah. He's definitely, definitely a fascinating one. As you said, like, it seems like Williams is saying all of the right things and that they're wanting to give him time and they're wanting to give him space. And Logan, for his part has said, he's felt very supported by all of them. And, you know, it it is an interesting situation, especially in contrast with the Nick DeVries situation where Red Bull is always going to have a quicker trigger than some of these other teams, given, you know, who is in charge and Helmut Marco and and what they were seeing there. And especially with Daniel Ricciardo waiting in the wings, I think it was a, a pretty easy move for them. But yeah, the the sergeant situation seems different in a, a few respects. But yeah, there, there's not an unlimited leash there for sure. The other one I wanted to talk to you guys about is probably the most stable one and the one that we would, I think, all expect to get done. And that's a Lewis Hamilton deal. Mm-hmm. Most recent reports have said that, like Lawrence Barretto reported, that the money and the length of the contract have been agreed upon, but only, quote, trivial things are left to be ironed out. You guys are all expecting this, that it'll get done, right? I, I think I'm just a little shook at this point because I would have expected by this point in the summer break for this to have all been ironed out and settled. But are you guys reading anything into this or is this you're just ready for it to get signed and move on? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Lewis had spoken to this a, a couple times in the past, you know, few races before, you know, we went on summer break here and he had kept, you know, pounding that drum that it was the finer details that needed to get worked out within within the contract and that mm-hmm. he wasn't all of that much involved. Mm-hmm. It was more the lawyers that were the ones that were taking the longest with everything. And so mm. I think for, I think for Lewis, you know, obviously going back to a place where you're comfortable, a place where you've won so many championships, a place where you know that it's a strong team. It can be turned around. They can come back the next year and fight for a championship, which is quite possible. Uh, you know, I, I don't see why you would want to even you know, consider leaving something, you know, like that. And, you know, yes, Red Bull has an extreme advantage right now but i I also see mercedes really catching up and they've done a great job at that and we have to think about just how 
you know, bad this car was at the, the beginning mm-hmm. of the season and how bad it was last season. And they right. were still actually doing a pretty decent job regardless of that. And so I think for a driver like Lewis Hamilton, that that instills in him some confidence that, hey, you know, even though we're in a bad spot yeah. right now, it's not like we're not going to get out of it. What I the, the way I look at that is Lewis and Verstappen are really the two guys who are in this situation where their teams would never even conceive of replacing them with another driver. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't conceive of racing for another team. So, and, but both of them have talked about, even though they're 15 years apart in age or close to it, both of them talked about like the way I get out of this team is retirement. And Mm. so when that's the, the, the case that both the team and the driver are so closely interconnected, like as long as contract term and money are, are set, then you can let the, the minutia slip. I think, the thing about contracts or negotiations is that deadlines make agreements and Mm -hmm. there's no real rush. So you could just say, Oh, you know, we'll deal with how many tickets he gets to the, to the hospitality (laughs) suite or whatever it is they're ironing out. That stuff can wait. And so I think that I'm, it would be the shock of a lifetime if he's not racing for Mercedes next year. But it's also like, I think also Bauman, it's also like you look at this, like this is a big time, you know, athlete like global Mm. star and it's like when you're negotiating i think contracts for an athlete of that caliber yes they're going to take longer because of what that you know star power brings to a team Mm -hmm. and what they're going to want and i think that's probably most likely what's slowing all of this down like we've already kind of touched on but i think it's not like normal. It's not like, you know, like an Alex Albon where it's like that contract's going to get done real fast. You know what I mean? It's, it's, this is, this takes a little bit longer, I think, because of the star power that obviously Lewis brings to Mercedes. And how can these two work together? How can Lewis get the most out of this contract at the same time? And I think, you know, all of those things play into the, what, what takes so long to, yeah. for this to get worked out. And that's a great point because it's not just the star power. He's just so different from any other driver on the grid and different from maybe any other athlete yeah. with that kind of profile. You think of of somebody, I don't know, like Tiger Woods or Michael Phelps or Serena Williams. Like that's the the kind of that's the degree to which he's transcended this sport. So if if any other driver on the grid is sort of dragging his feet, you know, oh, Mercedes doesn't have a deal with George Russell. Well, let's call Lando Norris's agent or let's call, you know, Esteban Ocon's agent or or Charles Leclerc's agent. We'll get Mm -hmm. someone similar, maybe a little better, maybe a little worse, maybe cheaper, more expensive. And we know basically what we're dealing with. And that's, you know, we saw how many times we see like Fernando Alonso and Jensen Button and and Sebastian Vettel sort of bounce from team to team. Mm -hmm. Kimi Raikkonen, those guys were we're sort of changing teams all the time and Hamilton is just so different and the way that that he looks at the sport and looks at himself as a public figure is so different from any other driver on the grid that I think it is a unique situation and you know not just unique in the colloquial sense like I I genuinely think that there's nobody out there really like him and so it makes sense that his contract would be not even in terms of like length or money, but in terms of the stuff that they might, that he might think to ask for or mm-hmm. think to, to include in it. And so, and all that comes back to, he's not going anywhere. Mercedes doesn't <laughs> want to replace him. They can take their time with it. As long as the inks dry by next February, everybody will be cool. Yeah. So we're not putting any stock into those early season Ferrari rumors. <laughs> <laughs> he played footsie with Ferrari. Like was, it's gotta be like four or five years ago now. And so 
man, if there's, I would have a lot of respect for him if he decided that. Well, no, actually, I would gain and lose respect for him for different reasons. <laughs> if he decided that's where he wanted to go at the end of his career. I talk about an adventure. I I would agree. That would be the ultimate kind of like. Th- that's a real betting on yourself and betting mm-hmm. on a team that is that is really in it right now. So should be noted that both uh, Charles and Carlos Sainz, I believe, their deals run through twenty twenty four currently. Yeah. So. Yep. We may have uh, some stuff to talk about with them this time next well, year, what, which would be very interesting. I think that's that's really the reason why this silly season is not as silly as perhaps yeah. we would have liked. Is that all these guys got? Or Tim, you can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but it seems like F1 contracts, driver contracts are getting longer. And yeah. so like it used to be either like one in an option or two years or even one year deals were the norm. And now, you know, Max Verstappen signed his current deal from when he signed it was like seven or eight years. You know, Leclerc was on that long deal mm-hmm. that he signed, I think in 2020 that took him to 24 mm-hmm. and, you know, Norris is, is signed through 25. Um, and so all these deals are just, we're in the middle of them because they all got signed in sort of that post for Stapp and Rush mm-hmm. when they realized that that Hamilton wasn't going to leave Mercedes and so Verstappen wouldn't have any reason to jump and everybody else just sort of locked into where they were and all those pieces start to move next season. So I think next season will be a lot of fun, but we're we're dealing with uh, the the effects of unusual stability. Yeah, really, it, like it It speaks loudly to this new crop of generational talent that we're seeing coming into, into Formula One, the ones, you know, the likes that which we have never really, mm-hmm. really, really seen. I mean, you've got on the on the grid, right? Like if you look at Charles Leclerc, incredible talent, Max Verstappen, yeah. obviously, right? And then you look further down, you have George Russell, again, another driver who could potentially win a, a Formula One championship, not just one many and then you add on top of that lando norris as well and then now you've got oscar piastri who's really slid in here at the same time and now you've got so many of these drivers that these teams are looking at like oh my god like we gotta we gotta hold on to like what what we've what we've got here we can't do the one and done or one Mm -hmm. plus option or you know maybe we'll keep you maybe we won't for the next season like we've got to lock some of these guys in longer term and i think that's another reason why we're seeing you know all of these sort of contracts starting to come up yeah uh, at the same time and and you know michael says it well i, I think you know 2024 uh silly season is going to be ridiculous like it's it's going to be it's going to be ridiculous the the point about this being this crop of this like golden generation thing is really interesting to me so like somebody put a calendar notification in for us to talk about this in in like 10 or 12 years but <laughs> i wonder if some of the disappointment in like the f2 champions coming through is because we had like verstappen norris mm-hmm. um uh leclerc george russell uh you know guys like like carlos signs and and you know i think lance stroll's a, a pretty decent Grand Prix driver. Like those guys are in that generation, the sort of born between 96 and, and 99 generation all came through at once. And they're like, I don't know the last time a, a crop of drivers, this good, this many potential world champions came through at the same time. Like I, maybe like early two thousands, like button Alonzo, Raikkonen, Juan Pablo Montoya coming through at the same time. Like this, this generation 
could be even better. And so those guys all came through at the same time. There's nobody push, nobody better coming up behind them, really. And there are so few teams that are willing to run two of those guys at the same time. That means that we're every one of them is being treated like a franchise player. And so that leads to to less movement, less instability. I mean, just the just the top, just the top four in the 2018 F2 championship, George Russell, Lando Norris, Alex Albon. Nick DeVries, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. DeVries had himself a cup of coffee and now he's gone. But <laughs> I mean, just the the three before, like the three before, mm-hmm. I mean, those, those guys are incredible. I mean, look at what Alex Alwyn is doing in a Williams right, right yeah. now. Like that, that just goes to show you the amount of um, just this generational talent that I talk about that is, co- that is coming into Formula One. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, I will send out that calendar notification. So I'll see you guys in a, <laughs> in a decade and we can we can recap all of this. This episode is brought to you by ArmorAll. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use ArmorAll to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, ArmorAll, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving, but of course, there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive, because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. Let's get into some some bold predictions. I, I'm curious what you guys are excited to see what you think might happen across the back half of this season. Michael, you alluded to having a potentially a Checo or Red Bull hot take on here. What are you, what's your first uh first prediction? Well, my my first two predictions are actually both Red Bull related, but I'll give the one Great. that I was alluding to. Okay. Uh it, it seems like people want Daniel Ricardo, like I said, to replace Checo. Uh, I think mostly just because we're sort of bored with how everything's going. But <laughs> I think Yuki Sonoda is going to wipe the floor with Danny Rick in the oh. second half of this season. I think my official prediction is he outpoints Ricardo at least two to one. Wow. But he's I also done it. more. He's also done more races up to this point, though, yep. right? 
So you're going to give yeah. him a buffer? So, well, have, he's only got like three points. So like, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, he's got literally three points. So I, I, you know what? I'll spot, I'll spot Danny Rook those three points. I'll say okay. from now until the end of the season, he will, he will score twice as many points as Ricardo. Wow. I, just the fact that he's, he's like snuggling up against the back of the top 10 every week mm-hmm. in a just absolute dog shit car. Yeah, I, I he. This has been one of the the big narratives of this season is his like maturation, his evolution into a team leader, the the sort of new, shorter, funnier Pierre Gasly that that he's becoming. And I think <laughs> we're still on, we're still sleeping on him a little bit. Mm-hmm. I I agree with you that we're sleeping on him. I actually have an Alpha Tauri prediction as well that I'll give just so we can talk about them wholeheartedly, holistically. <laughs> um, mine is that Alpha Tauri will finish seventh in the constructors championship Whoa. and become a good vibes team. This is this is uh this is probably my boldest one. So so hear me <laughs> out. Um yeah, they're currently last in the constructors championship. Might they yeah. have, as Michael said, three points total, all of which have been scored by Yuki Sonoda. And the car is, uh, yeah, exceedingly tough, especially when you compare it with, you know, someone like Williams, which is kind of overperforming at this point. So to get to seventh, they need to leapfrog Alfa Romeo and Haas, which I feel like relatively, that's relatively achievable. I think the big one is Williams. That would be most difficult with Alex Albon doing everything that he's doing. But if Danny is able to push Yuki a little bit and Yuki wants to show off and really you know, kind of kind of come into his own and, and eke into that top 10 a little bit more often. You know, they're only eight points behind Williams and Haas right now for that seven spot. So that's my prediction. Those are, get it done. Those are a big eight points, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I know, but I, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. I want I, I want this to be a good vibes team and I want them to do well. I, there's something I've been meaning to bring up on the vibes point. There was... I, Red Bull does all these promo videos with their drivers, the AlphaTauri drivers, obviously. And for the Miami Grand Prix, there was one where Yuki and and Daniel Ricciardo were on a boat. Yeah, uh, and, and Danny like pushed Yuki off. No, no. <laughs> so the difference between I would say Max Verstappen and Daniel Ricciardo is Yuki keeps talking about how he doesn't want to go in the water. And he doesn't want to go in the water. Max would have pushed him in. Danny wrapped him up and went in with him. And yes. I think that's a huge distinction. And so <laughs> as much as I think you're a lunatic for saying this team's going to make up make up eight points, I do agree with you on the vibes. The vibes are, are going to be really good the second half of the season. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I'll give that you know to, to, to Megan for sure. And this team has gone through a massive you know, upgrade cycle with their car. I mean, when I was looking at it at the British Grand Prix and then I compared it to photos of it, you know, in Austria, I was like, oh, there's a big difference here. This entire car has actually (laughs) uh, changed quite a bit. And, you know, that's really kind of brought it sort of to life. And yes, it's still probably not um, one of the faster cars on the grid, obviously, but it's, I don't think it's as bad as it was at the beginning of the season for this particular car. I, I, it's, I I don't necessarily see Yuki smashing Ricardo, but I I do see it being close between the two of them for sure. And you know, obviously, we've talked about this at length when it comes to Daniel Ricardo and and Yuki Sonoda and how for for Daniel, I think to stay in the show, he's he's got to either yeah. match or, or beat Yuki, and that's mm. all there is to it. And if he wants to have mm-hmm. a dream of maybe one day getting up into that Red Bull racing seat. I mean, he's, he, he's going to have to get it done this season for sure. I mean, you, 
you'd make a you made a point earlier about you know, Liam Lawson, right, Bauman, and I, I think like that is a driver who they also have to keep on their radar because if he wins this Super Formula Championship yeah. that he's competing in currently, which is a very difficult championship to win, and if he's able to do that, I mean that's. <laughs> You know, if you're if you're Alpha Tauri, you're you're the Red Bull racing company, you've got some decisions to make when it comes to your drivers. Like Yuki's driving phenomenally right now. And if Daniel's able to get back to the old Daniel, which it, it kind of looks like he can. I mean, like he he has performed pretty well since he's got back. Granted, it's only been two races and mm-hmm. he did have that mistake in Belgian Grand Prix qualifying, which which costed him costed him pretty big but he, he most likely would have qualified yuki within that race if if he hadn't have made that mistake and gone off and had his lap time deleted um but that being said i mean there are a lot of big decisions to make for this alpha towery uh team and then again you know you you sprinkle in what's going to happen with it next season right like you know they're going to be moving a lot of this thing closer to the red bull factory in the uk it's going to be a big rebranding it's going to happen with this team at the same time. I have a feeling this car is going to look a lot like uh, the RB19 next season. And so you're probably going to have a stronger team. You're most likely going to have a stronger car next season. And I think you have to be smart with who you're going to put in that those two seats. And yeah, if you're Daniel Ricardo, you've got to keep up with Yuki. Or beat him. One of the I think other. He's if you want to stick him. around. I think he's got to beat him pretty convincingly. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not to stay in the Alpha Tower seat. It depends on. I mean, I'd feel bad for Lawson if if he went, goes over there and wins Super Formula and doesn't get yeah. on the grid. But for sure, it's a tough decision. Yeah, they've got some some pretty good options. I will say to to Meg's point, eight points. You could just one attritional. That's what I'm saying. One one Imagine, like, result. We get that's all it takes. Driving rain one. in Japan. Big crash and out of the fog comes Yuki Sonoda to finish fifth. <laughs> Guys, this is this is I literally have this written down. I said if they can get one or two fluke results and have some midfield consistency, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I can, I, are you playing the Remember the Titans soundtrack? Because I can hear it coming <laughs> through my my headphones just thinking about this. I'm ready. I'm ready. Tim, what is your first bold <laughs> prediction? I, I don't know how bold it, it's going to be, but like, first of all, I want, I want to know if you guys think that Red Bull can can win every single race from here on out. Do you think it's possible? I mean, that's one of look, my yes. it's one of my bold predictions. Yeah, so, like, it's one of the ones I'd written down. So. If we if we look back into the future, you know, if you go back to whatever it was, 1988, when the only team that got close to it was McLaren and they were one race away. Uh, from having it happen. Can this team actually do it? I mean, granted, I think we're looking at probably one of the greatest race cars that's ever been built, Mm -hmm. being driven by a generational talent in Max Verstappen. Uh, My bold prediction is it's it's Red Bull wins everything. They win every single race from, from here on out. And I think... Granted, you know, some of the newer fans or just fans in general are going to be like, well, it's it's boring or F1 is boring right now or whatever. I mean, you have to appreciate and respect what the team and driver are currently doing, because I think in like, you know, 15, 20 years time from now, we're going to look back and be like, wow, that was that was pretty remarkable what we what we witnessed mm-hmm. because it may never happen again type deal. I mean, look how long it's been. Right. And so. 
I think in terms of bold predictions, that that would be mine. I know it's not really that bold, but I think if they're able to do that, that is, wow, that's an incredible achievement. Incredible. Yeah. I I have a Red Bull prediction myself, which is sim- sort of in line with your guys's. And that is that Max Verstappen will win the Drivers' Championship in Japan. It's not hugely bold because he already has a 125-point lead and has won eight straight uh, races. <laughs> but to win in Japan, that that would give him six races left in the season. So there would be that would tie him with Michael Schumacher, I believe, for most races left when claiming a championship. For that to happen, he'd have to have a 181-point lead over Checo, which he's currently at 125. So in the in the next four races, he would need to get up to that that gap between him and Checo, which I think, you know, Checo could finish second in a couple of those races, and then he would have to finish a bit farther down in some of the others. But I, I expect Max to win the next four. So yeah, my prediction is that he takes it all in Japan. I don't feel like doing the math to refute you on that. So I'll go with it. <laughs> I think I think most projections have him winning in Qatar like one race later. Yeah. Is, yeah. is sort of the more comfortable, more comfortable math. I, I did not do this math myself. I did a lot of a lot of checking around and <laughs> and, and looking at people who are, are smarter at math than me. I was a journalism major for a reason. So what? When we look at what, like, it, I, I, I agree with you, Megan. I could see that happening for sure. And I think if, like, we look back on this season as it is right now, I mean, what's your? I mean, we have to appreciate what this guy is doing. It's absolutely yeah. incredible. Like, do you guys have anything that stands out in your mind as something that you saw in Max and were like, "Yes, that that is absolutely incredible." For me, it's qualifying in Monaco, Q three, third sector the final like five corners heading through swimming pool into yeah. the heavy braking zone into the last few turns and then just banging it off the walls on the exit. Like it, it, he, he was absolutely incredible in that. And for me, when I look at what Max has done up to this point, the things that stood out to me the most, that for me is what stood out most. It's that's the hardest he's been pushed. Yes. I think that's really the only time he's ever like really been threatened this season. Uh, what stands out to me are the, this has happened maybe three or two or three times where it's like lap 50 out of 60 or something like that, you know, sort of like three quarter last quarter of the race. And he's 20 seconds up the road and he drops it coming out of a chicane and like, you know, goes off, loses five seconds and it just comes off like on the radio, like whoops, and, and giggles, <laughs> you know, basically. And he's so far ahead. It doesn't matter. I think that's the, the characteristic, uh, that's going to be the defining memory of Verstappen uh, this season, just because he has, he almost hasn't been under threat enough to, to, you know, yeah. make a spectacular overtake or something like that, that really goes on the cover of the, of the championship DVD. I was digging through some, that one is funny you bring that. I was digging through some video yesterday on this feature that I'm building for sports center. And like when I, I was watching back the, uh, the Belgian Grand Prix and the moment when it starts to rain and Max is going like flat out yeah. through Eau Rouge Radion and he has a huge moment. And I'm like, oh my God, like how did this guy not absolutely bin it? And he's on the radio <laughs> swearing like I almost just destroyed the entire car here, guys. Like, oh yeah. my God, he's still pushing it, right? Like that is incredible. And, it, and that is around the point where he had like, oh, I want to say a good 10, 10, 12 second lead. At that moment, and he's still friggin' on it, guys. Like, 
Yeah, the one I'm thinking of, I think it was Australia that he did this. It was he almost did it in Canada too. It, like, it might have been Canada. That yeah, but it just like misses a chicane. And he's like, oh, almost put that one in the wall. What are you gonna do? <laughs> well, I mean, he has to entertain himself somehow, right? Right. <laughs> There's no one around him. <laughs> he's he's gotta do it. Yeah, I. It feels like this year for me. I mean, it. This feels like where every aspect of his driving ability has kind of come together. It, it just looks effortless. Like in seasons past, it felt like he was striving so hard to either beat Lewis or to prove himself. And this year, it feels like he's okay. really settled into his own and and trusts the car and his own abilities to such an extent that he can push however far he wants. And it doesn't really seem like there's sort of a limit to that from either his perspective or the car perspective, which is, yeah, really fascinating. Wild season. Uh, Bauman, do you have another one? Uh, Yeah, okay. Well, this is a more fun. That there will be at least 11 podium finishers by the end of the season. Currently, Mm. there are eight. So so we've had both Red Bulls, uh, both Mercedes, and then Alonzo, Norris, and Leclerc, and I'm missing one. And that's Monaco too, in, in Monaco. So I'm predicting Piastri will get on the podium. Carlos Sainz, I'm kind of surprised he hasn't been on the yeah. podium already. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been fourth or fifth. I think yeah. I'm looking at it now like five times he's been in the top five, but not on the podium and leaves one wild card, the attritional mm-hmm. rain. So Yuki Sonoda, uh, <laughs> charging Alpha Tauri to seventh in the constructors championship, something like that. I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I like that, that one. That's a lot. And that's sort of, that's what I'm hoping for. I think part of the, the charge about this being a boring season is, it's been stable like throughout the top that even when I think of, of uh, 2020, even though Lewis Hamilton won yeah. most of the races that season was never seriously cha- challenged for the championship. That was a great season because you saw so many surprising podiums, so yeah. many, like a couple surprising winners. And I think that I don't think we're going to get a surprising winner. Cause I think even if Max does actually lose it, then Sergio Perez will be there to, to pick up the pieces. But uh we're missing a couple of those fun, yeah, fun podiums. I think Ocon and Monaco was the, mm-hmm. the closest we've really come to that. Now it's looking more and more like Fernando Alonso, like we've seen the best of this Aston Martin too. So give me a, a give me a Hogan podium. Like, ooh, what about an Albon like podium? I would love that. I would absolutely That'd be love fun. that. That would ruin my Alpha Towery prediction, but but I would love it. <laughs> I don't, let's see. <laughs> can they can they catch Alpine? They're only 54 points behind Alpine. Guys, it's all on the table. It's all on the table. <laughs> I, I was gonna say, like, if okay, so if Red Bull can't run the table and, and win everything, m- my next prediction was going to be Fernando Alonso gets his 33rd win. Mm. I mean, and obviously, like, they have taken a step back since bringing upgrades to to Canada, and those upgrades haven't really panned out the way they wanted them to and it's taken them a few races to kind of understand what's actually happened mm-hmm. to this to this race car and i think at one point fernando was assuming that it was uh the new form of tire that they brought in for the british grand prix but it actually it, it actually wasn't it was the, the amount of the amount of new things they brought to the car that just weren't working together and i think 
the team seems confident that they're going to be able to turn this thing around. So they have upgrades coming to Zanvort. They're going to have more coming to, to Monza. They have more budget that they're able to spend on this car as well. They still have a lot of budget left that they haven't used on this race car. And so hmm. I, I think if they're able to correct and get back to the form that they had at the beginning of the season, then I, I can't see them, you know, I can see them actually pulling off a win at a track, say like Singapore, because that is something that suits what their car actually, actually does. And if Fernando Alonso is able to get his, you know, 33rd win and we look back, what he's had, he's been sitting on 32 since I think it was 2000 and I want to say 2013, was it 2014, 2013, no, yeah, Spanish you're right. Grand Prix. I think it's 13. Yeah. 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 Spanish Grand Prix. He had, he had beaten the both mm -hmm. Red Bulls and, and won there. And then that, that was it. Right. And so it's been a long time since Fernando's actually been, you know, in a winning position. And now he, he, he at some point has been this season. And I think that if they can get that car back to where it was, he he can be. And it, and, it, and if he does, like, let's just say like he, he grabs that 33rd win. I mean, what a story that would be. That's in, that, that that's incredible. I think, um, it could considering everything that the guy had to go through with the Alpine saga and them, not really, you know, yeah, we will keep you for another year, but you know, your, your age are deteriorating and we're not sure if you're going to be able to be competitive you know, mm -hmm. after a few years, you're in your 40s now. And, you know, shout out to the 42-year-olds, right? Like, if he gets it done. <laughs> I love this. I, I would love to see him up there. I would love to see what kind of antics he and the the whole team pull off if that were to happen. He's had some some very fun podiums early in the season. And, you know, Aston Martin has fully seemed to embrace embrace the, the chaos and, and love it. So that would be great. I'd be all for it. My last prediction is not all that bold, but it is that I am going to fall asleep during the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Oh yeah, <laughs> I can I can almost guarantee you guys that it starts at Put ten it on p.m. The board. <laughs> starts at ten p.m. PST, which is midnight my time. Um, and while I expect you know the kind of the lead up to the race to be very very cool and exciting, you know, seeing the track for the first time, watching qualifying, all of that. If we get stuck a little bit into the street circuit of it all, um, I, I could fully expect to be passed out by the middle of that race. Are you yeah, guys excited for Vegas? Are you? Yeah, I, I, I feel like I keep forgetting about it because it's so far I, away. I am. Like I, I, I should be there for it, so I'm excited. Okay, that for, makes so. For hopefully, that. you won't fall asleep. <laughs> so yeah, I was going to say I don't want to fall asleep while I'm there. But uh, that being said, I mean, uh, it, looking at the track map. It does look like a type of Baku city street mm -hmm. circuit where we could have some chaos happen. And there are quite a bit of long straightaways, which will you know lean into the fact that we could have some exciting racing taking place. I I I just think you're you're right, Megan. Like that I think the the off-track spectacle is probably gonna be something like we saw in Miami. You know, yeah. like Bauman, you were there, Megan, you were there, you, you you've seen it. You you know that you know, with Miami is, is just, uh, it's an incredible atmosphere. Now, whether or not the racing on the track is any good is yeah. definitely up mm -hmm. for debate, but like uh, everything mm -hmm. that happens off of track is absolutely incredible. And I think I was gonna, with Vegas, it could be something similar. Well, to that point, I was going to say, having been to the first Miami race, that was incredible. And yeah. having watched the second one on TV, that was incredibly boring. So <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely foresee falling asleep on the couch uh, in, in Meg's future. Yep. 
Yep. A hundred percent. I'm an old lady. So anything starting at midnight is is automatically going to be tough for me. Um, do you guys have anything else? Any other bold predictions? I want to refute give? Tim's bold prediction about Fernando Alonso. I had oh, one. Oh, okay. Fernando Alonso is not going to finish in the top five of the drivers' championship. Fernando wow. and, and Aston Martin. What? And and I'll go and I'll go one further. Aston Martin <laughs> has had its last top five finish of the season. That car is going wow. backwards, Tim Brainy. <laughs> This is, this this is great. This oh is my great. God. His lead over me? Hamilton is down to one point. There are three other drivers over 90. Fernando Alonso, the future is now, old man. <laughs> I love this. I love I'm this. I'm supposed to argue that. <laughs> I would Batman's just say. fired up. I, I, I think it's highly unrealistic that he drops out of the top five. I I think that's highly unrealistic. I think it's unrealistic. You have to bold predictions. I, I don't even think the team can fall out of the top four. Like I don't even think that will happen. He doesn't but, need the team. He's one point out of fourth place already. There's I I I don't see it, man. I really don't. <laughs> I see that more than I see him winning. Uh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. But when we roll this back. At okay. the end of the season. No, in 10 years when we come back to talk about <laughs> in 10 it. Years. Your, That's the your next calendar. time we're all going to speak. We can't talk for the next 10 years. Yeah. No, it, it is interesting. Yeah, he's one point ahead of Lewis. What is that? 50 points ahead of Leclerc and Russell? Yeah. And Signs is, I don't have a whole lot of faith in Carlos Signs, so maybe let's not no, rope him no. into this. But we, I think we don't, that, we don't need to talk about him. I definitely think that, that Mercedes is going the right direction. I think, I also mm-hmm. think like, McLaren is scoring points in bunches now. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so what is He's this? 80, 80 points, points out of Lando. Now to Lando. That's probably, that's probably a little too much, but mm-hmm. he's not going to be scoring 15 points a race anymore. I like it. Tim, you look, you look you lost in that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Like, I'm not totally sold on, you know, the McLaren thing. I mean, yes, they've been competitive recently. Right. And they've also brought these nice upgrades to the car and they're going to be bringing some more to it as well to try and uh, right the ship and get them back onto a uh, quicker trajectory to fighting at the front. But that being said, they have come out and, and have admitted that, hey, this performance is great. We're not totally sure where it's coming from, but we'll see if it'll stick around like they're they're not even sure if they can keep this going. Right. So. Not 100% sold that what we've seen from McLaren can be consistent throughout the season. I think they're going to have ups and downs. I think they're going to have some high peaks and they're going to have some not as low, low valleys. But I don't necessarily see McLaren as a team overtaking Aston Martin and constructors. I don't see Lando Norris. No, that's not what I predicted. Fernando Alonso. (laughs) Don't twist my words. I just don't don't see any of those things happening. But I, I, you know, Granted, you know, Fernando could definitely fall back, but I don't see him leaving the top five. There's no way. If you want to talk about not understanding the upgrades, at least McLaren knows they don't understand the upgrade or don't <laughs> understand where their performance is coming from, as opposed to just like looking over Adrian Newey's shoulder, which is, you know, you want to talk about like failing upgrades on on a car that's basically copied from a team higher up on the grid. Like this is, is Aston, what is Aston Martin? But bougie Haas. <laughs> well, I think Listen, all of these there are, there are worse ways to design a car than looking over Adrian Newey's shoulder. Surely, absolutely, I'll and it's got it much. got them to to the second fastest car for about half a season, mm-hmm. 
And now they have to actually develop it on their own. And <laughs> how's that going so far? Not awesome. It's interesting. I, I'm really excited to to relitigate this fight at the end of the year. We'll we'll come back and we'll we'll see who was right and who gets who gets to <laughs> claim Tim's the glory. Still talking to me at that point. <laughs> the glory for being right about Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin. I love it. We'll come back to it. Thank you both, Michael and Tim, for coming on. This this has been really, really fun. Thanks, as always, to Erica Cervantes for the production help. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been the Ringer F1 show. We will be back very soon. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.